0: Today's passage comes from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 to 10, and I'll be reading from ESV. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teachings that are caused with godliness, he is puffed up and conceit, with conceit and understands nothing. He has un- unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we, can, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this, is this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced them with many pains. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Amen. Thank you, Hanau. Let me just get myself ready. Hello, church. How are you all doing? Are you guys good? Can we? We didn't do this because I'm not presiding. Can we turn to the person the next one to say it's good to see you? Yeah. Turn to someone else to say it's oh, welcome to church. Yeah. All right. Doesn't feel like church if we don't do that. Let me just see if my click is working. All right. Cool. Uh, yes. Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to church. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Peter, and uh, it is my joy and privilege to unpack and preach God's word to you today. We are at the, at the tail end of our sermon series in One Timothy. I think we have one more week left. Am I correct? I believe so. And the title for today's sermon is um, Be Careful, Be Content. Oh, Be Careful, Be Content. Uh, today we'll be hearing an important warning that uh, Paul gives to Timothy, but also the church, the Ephesian church, and I believe this is a warning that is relevant for us together today. And so we're going to pray and we'll dive into this text to the, together. Why don't we pray together? Father, we thank you for your love and grace shown to us most perfectly in the Lord Jesus Christ, that though we have much or little in this world, in Christ, we as Christians can know that we indeed have everything that we need. And I pray that this would be the conviction and understanding of our hearts, that we would so highly treasure knowing you and having salvation in you, that all the other riches of this world would pale in comparison. Again, we know that we cannot muster these convictions up ourselves. And I know I, there are no words I can speak to try and transform hearts here today. So God, we pray that you would move in a powerful and tangible way by your spirit through your word. Bring conviction, bring comfort, and grant us contentment in you today. All this I pray for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen. Um, so today we find ourselves at the, the final chapter of 1 Timothy, Uh, And in case you forgot, this is a letter that Paul, as a mentor, is writing to Timothy uh, as he leads a church in Ephesus. And throughout this letter, Paul has been uh, reminding Timothy how to lead the church, what to teach the church, what to say to the church, because that's what godliness looks like. That's kind of the theme of this letter. That's what godliness looks like. Now, the reason Paul writes this letter is because he's heard some things that's concerning. Uh, He's heard that some people have been coming into the church and teaching funny things, And he's heard that the church has been flowing down a slightly, you know, unhealthy path. And so this letter is Paul trying to bring the church back kind of within God's ways by telling Timothy, this is what you need to lead, uh, this is how you need to lead, and this is what you need to teach. And we see that actually in um, the verse before our passage today, uh, Timothy, uh, Paul says, teach and urge these things. Teach and urge these things. Now, these things talking about the things that we'll look at today, but also the things that he's talked about all throughout the letter so far. Essentially, he's trying to remind Timothy, as the leader of the church, to guide this church in the right path. Now, it is important that we understand the gravity of Paul's concerns for this church. Uh, Paul is convinced that if this church is not careful, uh, they could fall. He's convinced that the church could stumble. And it could be led astray if they're not careful. And you know, the sad reality is, as great as the Ephesian church was, they actually do end up falling. Uh, if we see this in Revelation chapter 2, like John has a vision and God talks to him about a bunch of churches and talks about the Ephesian church in Revelation 2 verse 4 to 5. And he says, but I have this against you. He's talking to the Ephesian church, that you have abandoned the, the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. You know, I don't think any church uh, plans or any Christian plans to fail and to fall. I don't think, you know, we wake up one day and think, I want to sabotage my faith today. Uh, But what happens is if we're not careful, gradually, you know, over time, because of our sinful, forgetful nature, we start to lose touch with our faith. We forget. We get confused. And we lose our way. And perhaps this has happened to you or somebody around you already. And perhaps this could very well happen to our church at Kingsway. So rather than to, you know, stand cocky and arrogant, thinking, you know, I've done this for a while, don't worry, I'm fine. Or, you know, thinking, our church is pretty good. We're going to be okay. I think it's important that we prayerfully hear and heed the warnings that Paul gives to the Ephesian church today in this passage. So that we might be a healthy church of healthy Christians that make it to the end. Amen? That's the most important thing. So what does Paul say? I have two points for us today. And it's in the title. Be be careful, be content. Be careful, be content. Let's begin with the first one. Paul says, and he warns the church. Be careful. Verse 3 to 5. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words. Paul says, be careful. Be careful of what? He says, be careful of false teachers. You know, this is something that Paul warns churches of all throughout his letters. Be, be, be careful of false teachers. Be careful of wolves in sheep's clothing. Be careful of those who come in and water down or take away from the message of Jesus Christ. He even opens up this letter with the exact same warning uh, in chapter one. He says, "As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, he's talking to Timothy, remain at Ephesus so that you may you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine." This is a really big problem in Paul's time, right? Uh, which is this was happening everywhere. There were false teachers everywhere. There was uh, voices everywhere, and everyone had their own versions of the truth. And so it was easy to get confused and lose their way, which is what was happening to the Ephesian church. So Paul warns them, be careful. Be careful of false teachers. Now, how do I know who is a false teacher? Simple. Paul says, look at their teaching. Verse three, if anyone anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, the teachings that accord with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. So here Paul gives us some categories of how to identify and understand, you know, what a false teacher and what false teaching is. The first category, Paul says, does he or she teach a doctrine that is not in line with the teachings of Jesus Christ in the Scriptures? In other words do they directly contradict what Jesus has said and taught in the Bible? So, for example, Jesus preaches grace in the gospel, uh, God's kingdom made available for all through him. And then imagine someone comes along and says, yeah, that's cool, but you also need to do this, read this, achieve this, go, th- go here and do this for this long for God to fully accept you. Under Paul's descriptions, that person is a false teacher. Why? Because that is not what Jesus says. That is false teaching. Secondly, Paul says, does he or she teach a lifestyle that does not line up with the godliness that the Bible has depicted? So for example, maybe someone will come up here one day and say, Yeah, I agree with the gospel uh, that we are all accepted in Christ no matter what. So therefore, go and do whatever you want. Have multiple wives and go do drugs and do whatever, live whatever way you want because, you know, grace is enough. Again, under Paul's description, no. This is a false teacher with false teaching. That is not what the Bible says. That is not the Bible's idea of godliness. Be careful of those people, Paul says. Be careful of those voices. Verse 4, Paul continues, he... The, the false teacher, is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words. So this is Paul just kind of giving us ways to identify what to be careful of, who to be careful of. These are a few more details of false teachers. He says, the false teachers, usually they're proud. They love creating controversy. You know, so you might hear them say things like, let me tell you something you've never heard before. Let me tell you why everyone you've heard speak to you is wrong. Let me teach you a new gospel. They love wielding their intellect and knowledge of words to impress and persuade people. It's interesting, Paul said Paul says that false teachers are usually quite well spoken and they're clever. But Paul says in their hearts they understand nothing. They may know a lot, they may be smart, they may have amazing rhetoric, but they understand nothing in their hearts. They have a big head and a big mouth, but they don't understand anything in their hearts. And so they are dangerous, he says. So be careful. Be careful. Be careful of anyone who comes to you and teaches you a doctrine that is not what God says. No matter how smart or impressive they may sound, they do not understand who God is. That's what this passage is telling us today. Now, let's pause there and have a little think about what that might look like in today's context. Because when we think about, when we hear false teachers, I think, I don't know about you, for me, I think of like people who speak weird, dress weird, and kind of look, you know, like they straight up look like a false teacher. That's kind of what I imagine. I don't know about you guys, but there's a reason why Paul says be careful. If it was obvious, you will need to be careful. Sometimes, and a lot of times, false teaching is actually quite hard to notice. Sometimes they actually make a lot of sense, these people and these voices and these opinions. They use, again, their rhetoric, their skills, their intellect, their knowledge, their experiences, and it can be quite convincing. So if we're not careful, we could fall to these teachings as well. Now, false teaching can come from anywhere, not just up here. Uh, It can be within the community, I think, when you're speaking to one another after church. In the, in the things you share and the convictions and the values you share, something that is not in line with the Bible may come out. It could happen in our growth groups, as we share our thoughts and convictions. it could happen in our ministries. If there's a, a rogue ministry leader who wants to, you know, go his own way, do his own thing, it could happen amongst our friends, It could happen within our families, and of course it could happen on the Internet. And so we need to be careful. We need to be careful. There is so much noise out there, more than ever before. So much information, which is helpful sometimes, but also dangerous. Now, I'm not saying let's be ignorant people who don't listen to anyone, uh, who don't research, who don't read, who don't go seek out the truth. No, I think we should read, we should research, we should go seek out the truth. But what I am saying is it is important and helpful for our faith and for the health of our community that we are careful together. Careful of the preachers we listen to careful of the kind of facts that we draw from online, careful to hold firm our biblical convictions and godly doctrines that we find in the Bible that we may not lose our way. And that is why I believe we try our absolute best to keep the Bible and keep God's Word at the center of everything that we teach and do here at Kingsway. That's why, as much as we can, when we come to verses like this or anywhere in the Bible, we try and go kind of verse by verse and try not to, you know, take away from it. We went, th- we went through some uncomfortable topics the last couple of weeks, topics about gender roles, uh, money and widows and things like that. And I- I'd like to think that we didn't shy away from saying what the Bible says because it is important to us that we stay true to the doctrines outlined for us by God in His Word. And anyone or anything that draws us away from living out God's ways and living out God's truths, we believe today's passage is telling us, is a form of false teaching. So we ought to be careful. We ought to be careful. And if we are not careful, Paul says, verse 4 and 5, it can produce these kinds of things. It says, which produce Envy, dissensions, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Now, I don't want to go into detail about every one of those toxic traits, but I want to highlight what Paul says here when he says, people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. This is what happens when we fall to false teaching. We are deprived of the truth, and we're depraved in our minds. And what Paul is saying is, when we have been led astray from what's true, deprived of the truth, and therefore come to untrue convictions, depraved in the mind, when we depart from God's words and God's ways, falling, fall, falling to false teachings, this is the result. One of the first things that we do is we place ourselves at the center, imagining, as Paul says, that godliness or living for God is actually for a means of gain for me. It, it, it's for my benefit. It's for my happiness. And so we start to live with these priorities with me at the center, not God. And, so these, and then these toxic traits start to kind of come out and infiltrate our hearts, our lives, our culture, our community. Why? Because holy, faithful, perfect God has been taken off the throne of our lives, and we've put our selfish, sinful selves on there instead, and, and living for the glory and the desires and the purpose of this new God. And before we know it, we may hear the words that the Ephesian church heard, you have abandoned your first love, you have fallen. Kings, where you see, to honor God's words and to honor His ways is actually to understand that God is God and not me. It's understanding our position before Him, that God is God and not me. So to choose to go the other way, which is often what false teaching leads us to do, is a way of saying, oh, I'll be God instead of you. I'll go my way instead. And that is why false teaching, I believe, is so, so dangerous, not just because we get some facts wrong, but really because we get our position before God wrong. So here is the word from Paul to the Ephesians, and I believe to us today as well. As we all live in a noisy, noisy world, be careful. Be careful. Be careful to hold on to the Bible. Be careful to hold on to the words of God. Be careful to hold on to our convictions. Careful to hold on to our faith by holding on to Christ. And let us be careful. Careful to filter out the many different voices we hear every single day opinions, truths, values, teachings that come our way. I mean, the reality is we spend more time away from church at work amongst non-Christians probably than we do here at church with Christians. So the voices and the opinions and the, the values that come thrown at us is we, we, it's more of that than, than this. You need to be careful to filter that out, learn to see these things through the lens of Scripture, throwing away the things that are not helpful for us and adopting the ones that we know is in line with the word of God. And in this way, let us guard ourselves as a community, guard our community so that we might not fall, but that we might all together make it to the end and enter into God's kingdom. How awesome is that? I went to um, Greece and Turkey with some friends a couple of years ago, and uh, Pastor Daniel was on the trip and if you know Daniel, he's a he's a smart guy, and he knows a lot of things, um, but one of the things he loves is history. He loves history, and so during the trip, because, um, you know, Daniel helped mainly organize, um, we would visit a lot of monuments, museums, and things like that. To me, they were all just rocks, um, but Daniel, you know, this is his thing. You know, he was like frothing at the mouth, right? Um now, Daniel would just know stuff. He would just know stuff. He would just explain, like, everything. Like, he'd, he'd know where the rock came from. He'd know where, um, you know, who this guy is and why he has no nose. And, like, he just explain stuff. And it was actually really helpful. Uh, it was actually really helpful. Funny thing is that one of these museums, you know, Daniel was just doing his thing, explaining to us, and literally, like, a crowd gathered around <laughs> uh, listening to Daniel, you know, teaching about this piece of artwork. Now, one of my other friends was on the trip... Um, you may know him as Victor. Um, every time Daniel would begin to, you know, explain something, he would pull out his phone and begin to fact-check everything. <laughs> Dates, details, and names. And the crazy thing is, Daniel was usually right. That was the crazy part. Um, but the one time he got it wrong, I remember... Um, Victor made sure everyone knew. He called him out. It was a date, I remember. It was a really, really specific date, and he got it wrong, and he made sure that everyone knew that's wrong. It's false teaching, right? Daniel uh, is not perfect. And it became a bit of an in-joke for us during the trip. But friends, that's the kind of attitude that I think of um, that that we ought to carry on as we live this life of faith. Maybe not so much with the skepticism and the doubt that Victor had, um, but rather with the, the kind of caution. Um, careful and prayerful heart, not just believing everything that we hear and see and feel, but holding tightly onto the Bible and humbly asking God regularly, what is right, what is true, and what is from you, so that we might not lose our way along the way. I think that's kind of what Paul is leading us to, to to do. Be careful. Fact check with the Bible. I'm reminded of this passage in Romans 12 verse two: "Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, by, by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect." Kings, let us be constantly careful to test what is from God and what is not, for our sake, for our community's sake. My second point, be content. Paul writes in verse six, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Here I think Paul is providing us with one of the keys to staying firm in the faith and not wavering to other truths. So he just said, be careful of, you know, false teachers. He's kind of giving us now the, the key to, you know, to staying healthy and staying firm. And he says, it is to find great gain of contentment in the Lord. If we are to be a church that makes it to the end, strong and unwavered, Paul's message to us is that we should learn to be content or satisfied in the Lord. Look at the difference between what he says before in verse 5. He says, people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So Paul says, when we're led by false truths, right, when we are deprived of the the truth and depraved in our minds, We begin to see godliness or living for God as a means of gain, he says. That's one of the toxic traits of of being led, you know, by false teachings to live in a way that is not God's way. We start to see godliness as a means of gain. What can I get out of this? What can I get out of this? Why? Because I'm at the throne. What rewards will God give me? Maybe he'll bless me with wealth and health. Perhaps he'll make me happy. He'll give me this blessing. Maybe He'll give me a special provision. In other words, we are left unsatisfied with God and, look, and left looking for these extra means of gain. But here in verse 6, Paul says, in contrast, but godliness with contentment is great gain. It is great gain. There is no reward to look for because the contentment or the satisfaction that we should find in the Lord, that is the reward. There is, that is the great gain that we can find as Christians, and that is the key to staying firm and steady in the faith, which is to recognize what we have in the Lord and to be satisfied, fully understanding what we have when we say we know the Lord and we have salvation. And this is so hard. Honestly speaking, brothers and sisters, are you satisfied with what you have today? In other words, if, if God stopped right now and uh, He stopped giving you new things, no new promotion was guaranteed in the future, you aren't going to have that house upside as you're planning one day down the track, that relationship you're waiting for isn't going to happen. And, and all you know that is that all you have from now on is Jesus Christ, the gospel, and the promise of salvation. Is that enough for you? Is that enough to bring you out to church to worship every single week, open up His Word to praise and to live for Him? And the answer to that question will reveal the problem with our hearts. Now, if I'm honest, I'm not satisfied. I know I want more. I know I am waiting for more. And I know when I ask myself that question, I say, I don't think so. It's not enough for me. I can't say with you know, 100% confidence that Christ is all I need today. But again, that's the problem. And that's why I'll keep looking for means of gain. That's why these false teachers' teachings start to sound enticing and tempting to me because of my heart. That's why I'm tempted to hear out the truth of the world. That's why I'm tempted to love the things of the world because I'm not satisfied. And to that, Paul is saying, here's the answer. And it's, you know, it sounds almost too simple be content, be satisfied, find satisfaction in the Lord. He says, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. There's nothing you can keep anyway. This reminds me of the story of Job. Um, You may know the story of Job. Job is a rich dude. He has a lot, blessings, faithful, great Christian, and um, he's tested. He's tested by having literally everything he owns taken away from him, his health, his wealth, his friends, his family. And to that, he responds like this. Job chapter 1, verse 21. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Wow. Could you say that? In the midst of tragedy, in the midst of loss, could you say that? That is someone who understands contentment in the Lord. Who understands that he's not entitled to anything, but he understands he has God in his life still, and so he is—he's he, worshiping God. I'm also reminded of Paul's words in Philippians chapter four, verse eleven to thirteen. It says, "Not that I am speaking of being in need, or I have learned in, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to be abound." in any and every circumstance i have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance and need i can do all things through him who strengthens me he's writing this from jail again the words of someone who understands contentment this is a response to another church is trying to bless him with like finances and stuff and he's like i don't need it he's in jail but he's like i don't need it i'm content with plenty or with little he's able to rejoice and trust in the lord Do you, do we have that kind of contentment in the Lord today? And if you listen to that and think, well, you know, it's not realistic. I think that the attitude is the problem. Why why can't we want that? Why don't we want that kind of satisfaction? Brothers and sisters, the message is clear. We should, we need to have that kind of contentment and satisfaction in the Lord if we are to stay firm and healthy in our faith. We need to seek after it, ask for it. Want it if we are to stay firm and healthy in our faith. And the good news is, God is kind. He doesn't just leave us without blessing. Those things I said before, I mean, they may very well may happen, you know, future career and relationship, whatever, but I, I truly believe God is, you know, looking out for us. He wants, he, you know, He loves us, He wants, you know, to bless us. He is a kind, loving father. He is a good, good God. He cares for you and I. And so we can know and trust that He will take care of us, which is why I think Paul writes this. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. We will have all that we need in the Lord. He's pointing to another passage in Matthew where Jesus preaches. So this is kind of pointing to that, that sermon. Jesus says in Matthew 6, So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. I, I find so much comfort in that, those words. Your Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom. So, but get your priorities straight. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Contentment in the Lord can be found when we know His great love for us, when we understand His commitment to us, and when we trust that He will indeed take care of me. He can and He will take care of me. And honestly, we see this most clearly expressed in the gospel message, the message that tells us that God the Father sent His Son, Jesus, to the world to be hated, rejected, and killed, and He did this because of His great love and commitment for you and I. And he took care of our greatest need. You know, we think of all the needs that we have, we're praying for in us. He took care of our greatest need, our sin. He gave us salvation from sin. And he has granted us the greatest gain, a place in his kingdom forever. Will not such a God take care of your food, your future, and your life? I believe he can, and I believe he will. So we can find contentment and satisfaction in him if we know who he is and what he has done for us. We can be satisfied in the promises that we know that we have in Jesus today because we can trust that he's a God that that looks out for us. And then we too will be able to say those words, Godliness with contentment is great gain. That is my gain. Here's the warning again, and, and we'll close with this. If we're not content, uh, Paul r- reminds us, we will look for means of gain. And again, this is why false teaching is so tempting, because we're not satisfied. Our hearts are yearning for something more and wanting something more. And so, if, you know, when your heart's yearning for that, it just takes one person to come and say, yeah, you can have this. And it just draws your heart. And Paul uses financial gain as an example of something that we will be tempted to idolize above God. And it's not just money, but he's using this because it's actually like one of the most, I guess, dangerous idols that, that we can have. And he's using that as an example. Verse 9 and 10. For those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. This is the scary part. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. It is important to note here that that money itself is not what Paul is condemning. The point of this verse is not that money is evil. Money is good. Uh, It is useful, and it is a necessary resource. What Paul is talking about here is the love of money, and he says that's the root of all kinds of evils. The idolatry, that's the evil part the desire for more being left unsatisfied god not being enough for me the thirst for more beyond god it is this heart this craving that causes us to wander away from god paul says losing touch with our with our faith and leading ourselves this leads us to to ruin and destruction and and i don't know about you guys and i'm just using this as a you know general example But I'm sure it's much tougher when you went into full-time work making proper money to stay focused on the Lord and the mission of God as opposed to when you were in uni and had nothing. And when you have access to all these new extra nice things and and then you have potential for more extra nice things, the the priorities that we once had for God and for His mission and and for for our lives of holiness, it just quickly diminishes. That is our hearts getting distracted. And our thirst and hunger for more and are craving for these things, taking us away from our contentment in the Lord. And we lose sight of the first love, God. And again, we find ourselves hearing the words that the Ephesians have heard in Revelation. You have lost your first love. Repent. You have fallen. And the money here can be replaced with anything that we idolize or covet. Security, success, worldly pleasures, selfish gain, future hopes. It is these things that take away from our commitment in the Lord that Paul warns could spell your own destruction and ruin. What is it for you in your life? And I I know you know, even though I may not know, what it is that distracts you from your contentment and satisfaction in the Lord. I know this is not how God works, but I often like to tell myself, don't wait for God to take that away before I come to Him and seek satisfaction in Him. Let us fight for contentment in the Lord. Fight to find satisfaction simply in knowing Christ, in knowing that we have salvation through Jesus Christ. Kingsway, let us find contentment in the Lord. Let us come before God in prayer and ask that we might understand to a deeper measure all that He is and all that He's promised us so that we might know how to revel and celebrate simply in the knowledge that I know Jesus and I'm bound for God's kingdom. And I know that's not something that we can just kind of make happen by trying really hard. We need to pray. We need to pray. I don't know about you, as I listen to verses like this, I can't help but reflect on you know my faith when I was a lot younger, during uni, when I had a lot more time, I had a lot less resources. But the passion and energy that I had and the time and commitment that I gave, and, and obviously time and com- time doesn't necessarily mean, you know, commitment, but sometimes it does. As opposed to kind of the energy and the passion and the love and the fire that I have now, it's it makes me sad sometimes. And it makes me think I've been so distracted. I've become so distracted. I'm not satisfied with Christ alone. So I need to pray for my heart. I want to close with a passage that that I really love and um, I think it sounds quite similar to today's text. It's in Hebrews 3. You may have heard it before. The author writes, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another. Do it together, every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ." if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Kingsway, it's my hope and prayer that many, many years from now, that we would still be a healthy, thriving church and that all of us would still be here worshiping the Lord and more of us would have joined. But if if experience or history tells us anything, because I wanted the same thing five years ago, and I can tell you right now, there are people that were with us, worshiping alongside us, serving with us, that are not with us anymore. Makes me incredibly sad, but that is the reality. So let us be careful. Let us heed and hear the warnings of Paul in this passage today. Let us be careful, for there are many voices out there in the world, and the enemy, the Bible says, prowls to kill, steal, and destroy. Be careful. Clenching onto God's Word. Fact-checking. Everything. Like Victor did. And let us learn to be and fight to find contentment and satisfaction in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. If there is a, if you see, find your heart yearning and desiring for more and finding you know, discontent in God because of the material things in your life, pray against that. And pray for the strength and the conviction to be able to say, Christ is all I need. And if we do these things, I, th- I think we'll be okay. Amen? Why don't we uh, pray together? We're going to sing a song after this. It's, it's called Be Thou My Vision. It's, it's actually a prayer. A pr- Be Thou My Vision was a prayer written originally and turned into a song. And so as we sing that, I, I, I hope you can read the words and turn that into your prayer as well. But, yeah, we're, we're going to spend some time actually praying that prayer. Uh, yeah, God, God, I want to make it to the end. I want to enter into your kingdom. I want to, f- you know, fully receive and realize the, the fullness of the gospel promise that we have in Jesus um, but I know my heart. Uh, I know I can be distracted. I know I, am, I easily forget. And honestly, um, yeah, me too. I'm, I'm not doing, you know, better today than I was, you know, five years ago. Um, there are so many more distractions, so many more resources that's taken away from my allegiance and my faithfulness to you, God. So help me. First of all, help me to find satisfaction in Christ alone. God, I don't even know what that means. I don't even know what that looks like but I I want to want it more in my heart, that I just find Christ enough in my life. Even if there are fires or tragedies or tribulation that were thrown my way, that knowing that I have Christ uh, is enough for me and I can still worship and still raise my hands in those seasons, I want to be that kind of a Christian. Help me, Lord, to find contentment in you. And Lord, teach us to be careful. Give us caution in our hearts as we go back into the world as we go back into work, as we go and meet our non-Christian friends or family members, and we to stay on my toes, that I might stay guarded Uh, and may not be swayed uh, by the many voices and false teachings that I am surrounded by all the time. Help me, Lord. I know I am vulnerable. I know I am weak. So protect me, Lord God. Help me, Lord God. Why don't we make those our prayers today in this time, teaching me to be content, content and help me to be careful and then we'll sing a song together. Let's pray.